Welcome to What Grinds My Gears, a weekly mess of crypto buzzwords, finance follies, and big ideas. We're your hosts, Melton Demers and Jill Carlson, and we'll examine the fascinating, bizarre, buzzworthy, and downright cringeworthy world of crypto. Love it, hate it, we don't mind either way. We're just here to grind some gears. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, the only media production company I trust. For exclusive content and events on crypto, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. All right, here we are. Jill, are you hungover from New York Blockchain Week Part 30? (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm hungover every time I leave New York. Yeah. Well, um, we were talking about the title for today's episode and um, we had a good chuckle. Do you like bagels, Jill? Are you a bagel eater? Only New York bagels. Oh, agreed, agreed. I think it's you know, they're, when they're freshly baked and they're so nice and chewy that the texture is so important. Indeed. And the water, the water is, is critical to making a good bagel. I like donuts too. You but like donuts, donuts and bagels, it's all kind of the same thing. What are we getting at? <laughs> what I'm trying to get at in a roundabout way is this idea that a round number, um, a bagel, a donut, maybe something that's going to start appearing on crypto balance sheets pretty soon here. And so I want to dedicate today's episode in the next 30 minutes of whatever we end up talking about, which I'm sure will be strange, interesting, and fun for us and maybe possibly other people, um, focusing on zero, the concept of zero. That's right. Settle in, grab your cup of coffee, and grab your favorite breakfast treat, whether that's a bagel or a donut, because that's all that's going to be on offer here for the next at least half hour and possibly the next few years. Um, or or your Xanax, depending on your poison. <laughs> so that's right. It's not news anymore. We are in a downturn. Whether or not we want to call it a bear market, that's that's a little bit up in the air. I, I tend to think that a bear market is generally longer lasting and more extreme than what we've seen so far. And, you know, after all, people have been calling the crypto market a bear market since Bitcoin was at 10,000. So we shall see. We shall see. But let's let's start by talking about so people throw around this word, right? We're a, we're in a bull market. So last year, 2017, people were feeling really good. And all of the naysayers were like, oh, it's just a bull market. Now people aren't feeling so great. Confidence is low. We say bear market. So when we talk about a bear market, I think there are a few key components, few key ingredients. First of all, it's when prices start falling. But I think the second component is widespread pessimism. When there are a lot of people who aren't feeling very good, and I talk about psychology a lot because I think it's so fundamental, it starts to cause a self-sustaining downward spiral. What do you think? How do you define a bear market? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, you know, assets across the board or given asset class needs to be underperforming for some duration of time, usually more than a quarter, say. Um, It's usually at least six months going on a year um, before I would call something a bear market. And that's right. A lot of it has to do with psychology is do people feel rich or poor? You know, the S&P 500 could be at the same level 
you know, two years in a row, but in one market, people feel like things are booming. They feel rich. They're pouring money into, you know, riskier and riskier assets. And, you know, the next year, maybe we're on the way back down. And I think that that's what's going on. We've talked about this before on the last episode, both in the macro market and in the crypto market. We're starting to see asset bubbles pop across asset classes, but it's starting out the furthest along the risk spectrum. So it's starting to unwind first in crypto and and venture and even art and car sales. Um, and, and it's going to trickle its way through the market into more normal and more mainstream, less risky asset classes. So, so I, you know, I don't agree with you that the broader market is heading bearish. I think we're starting to see more bullish signs. Um, the Fed, you know, hasn't been raising rates. Um, we're seeing governments around the world try to sort through trade wars. Although with Trump, you know, he really follows no, no rule books, so we never know what we're going to get. But what I think, what I think's interesting, the Fed is, is raising rates. Though they are ticking up. Slowly, but look, when you have an addiction, right? When you have an addiction to a substance, it's very difficult to stop. And we have an addiction to quantitative easing. It's a liquidity, it's- baby. <laughs> and guess what? Last year, people couldn't get their kicks just from high beta stocks and emerging markets anymore. So, no, 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 no. EM, EM, poison. EM's boring. EM's boring compared to crypto. There was this great article. Uh, someone interviewed three traders on Morgan Stanley's desk um, who are unnamed. And one of them was quoted saying, Bitcoin is better than sex. This shit is so volatile. And I was like, good God. Yeah. Now all you need to those to be long <laughs> Goldman stock and you're feeling that, right? <laughs> uh, so mean. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. So I think there are a few things that go into bear markets. So if we talk about crypto in this micro asset class, so one, first of all, the first sign is declining prices. Technically, I think it's when markets drop 20% from a previous high and it's sustained for multiple months. I think two months is, is the minimum for a bear market. But look, crypto prices have been dropping for a long time. They continue to drop. Um, the next sign is investor psychology. So people were hopeful. I think there was this hope that there was going to be this massive event at the end of 2018. There was so many standard deviations outside of the norm and everyone was going to recoup all of their losses and it was going to be amazing and it was great and everyone was going to get out then and, and that clearly has not materialized. So the pessimism becomes kind of a self-sustaining cycle. And we can talk about some of the circularity of capital um, later on as well. But then the, the other key things that we're not seeing yet is overvaluation. So we we definitely saw that. I'm still seeing high valuations on the venture side. We are not seeing unemployment yet, although now there's word that there are going to be job cuts, which to me is is the most painful part of a bear market is there are real people that are losing their livelihoods. Um, and, and that's sad. There's a lot of irrational behavior. Um, the question is, a lot of people now are looking at this, you know, investors want to be bold and they want to be courageous. And so people are saying, oh, I love bear markets. I get to invest in a bear market. And I wonder how true that actually is because trading volumes today were basically zip zilch zero. It's quiet right. out there. It's right. quiet. No one's buying shit. 
Because the reality is, I mean, people say that about markets as a whole, right? Is like, I love a bear market because I can invest. You can only do that if you're long cash. And that only really applies to markets where you're going to be invested regardless. And the fact is, is that most investors, be they retail or institutions, view crypto as this almost like luxury good, right? Like it's so far out of the norm of what they would be investing in. It's not like they're going to be deploying capital to buy the dips here the way that they would say if it was, you know, a distressed bond market scenario or, or, you know, an equities downturn. But but let's talk about why people aren't buying the dips. And this is really where I wanted to get to today. And you are probably going to laugh at me. But here's the thing. When you buy debt, right? When you buy distressed market bonds, you are buying a tangible liability. You have contractual rights. Now, when you buy distressed cryptos, when you buy crypto in a bear market, what are you buying? You're just placing a bet. That's all you're doing. It's a gamble on sentiment, right? So, yep. so look, here's, here's what I've been having a really fun time with inside of my mind. So balance sheets, right? I know I talk about balance sheets and everyone sighs and they're like, oh, why? Stop it. <laughs> but this shit matters, especially in a market like this. Okay. So if we think about it, I'm a crypto project, right? And this doesn't apply to Bitcoin. And there are a few other exceptions, but most projects by and large funded by these ICOs, um, the way they're viewing the world is our token is a never ending self-funding mechanism. But, but I want to talk about that because I think this is really interesting in thinking about what happens in the next cycle in the crypto market. So you look at the asset side of the balance sheet, right? So the left-hand side is where your assets are. So people have cash and some projects sold some of their crypto over time, their Bitcoin and their Ether that they fundraised in. Maybe they were smart and they took cash in their raise as well, but they have some cash and that amount varies. They then have crypto, which I'll call cash equivalents. In a lot of cases, that's dropped, you know, 70% from the time which they fundraised. Projects that raised in 2017 actually have a great and kind of unfair advantage in that they were raising as the market was rising. They're raising at a very different part in the cycle. So maybe they have more value they realized and turned into cash. But if they didn't realize the cash value at the peak or close to it, they're in the same bucket. Then they have their own tokens. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the cash and cash equivalents. They have no revenue streams. These it's scary. Are, it's, that is a scary view to me. But, but, but hold on, hold on. I'm not done. I'm not, I know we're going to keep balance sheet. I'll, I'll be quick. Okay. So then they have no revenues. There's no idea of, of revenue. Um, there's no IP because this is open source software, right? So the reason you're funding it is because this software is going to be freely available. So take out IP, that's a zero. Um, there's no PPE. We're not talking about production businesses. So to the extent that there's any capex, um, you know, some people were talking about buying buildings this time last year. I don't know if that materialized. Maybe they have some office equipment. The PPE value, let's say, is largely negligible, and that's plant property and equipment. They may have made investments. Um, all of those people who started ecosystem funds, you know, that's whole yeah, lot of Jesus. zeros. Whole Remember lot of when all of these founders thought that they were going to be hedge fund managers? Yeah, that's and I know people who have assets trapped in crypto funds who are paying three and thirty for zero. So you know that's. It is what it is. So they have investments, but the problem is they're invested in things that are 100% correlated to, to crypto. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Okay. So anything else you can think of that would be an asset here? 
I mean, reputation usually goes on that list, but I'm not sure that there's much to speak of for most projects. Okay, so maybe there's goodwill. I'm going to be generous and put goodwill on here. Maybe these things have some brand value, right? Okay, so looking at the balance sheet, no revenue, that's a zero. No IP, that's a zero. No PP&E, that's a zero. No investments Sounds like a bag of donuts to me. It's a, ba- it's a big, big old bag of donuts. Okay, let's... Do you want to go to the other side of balance sheet? Yeah. Liabilities, okay. take so, it away. What do you got? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Um, we don't have debt, right? We don't have equity, except except, you know, some of the people may own equity because these private investment start funds, they started with your money and my money and everyone else's money. Guess who's realizing the two and 20, if there is any, yeah. the projects That's are right. right. Uh, so maybe there's, there's something there. And then um, there's this, this, what I call unmet expectations, right? So there are all these people out there who are holding your token on balance sheet at cost, right? Or maybe they've even marked it up a little because they were the first money in and and now other people paid more for it. So they're marking it. Although I will say, you know, I think people are marking things at cost. Okay. So if you are, let's say, I'll pick on Telegram and I'm not trying to pick any one project. They raised $1.7 billion of, of, in capital. Um, and so theoretically, there's $1.7 billion of unfunded token holder expectations. That's right. And okay. you know, I would add something else to the liability side as well here, Meltem, which is legal liability. You know, yep, that's, legal liability that's and it, regulatory overhang. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's something sure. you can't underestimate. Okay. Okay, so we have all of these liabilities on this side, right? And for Telegram, maybe collectively they sum up to two billion. And so, uh, what what assets do they have left other than this money they've printed um, that's going to meet that unfunded liability? Great question. So what we're seeing is a realignment of expectations. As people are sitting back, it's the end of 2018. I'm going through my personal balance sheet, I'm looking at my portfolio, you know, I'm recalibrating my portfolio for coin shares and thinking about what funds we want to focus on in, in 2019 and products we want to create. Everyone else in the world sitting back, they're looking at, you know, what did 2018 do? But I, I want to pick up looking- I want to pick up a thread here though, real quick. Yeah. Which is so we just ran through the balance sheet, right? Which is mm-hmm. the most important thing. Uh, from a fundamental value perspective, obviously, to look at in terms of you know cool. your investment. But when you start to talk about distressed assets, which I think is you know people are starting to throw that word around here, and I, I don't think that they're fully wrong. And when you start to look at distressed assets, just as important as understanding the fundamentals of of what what this thing is that you actually own is also understanding your rights as an investor, right? Yes. Because if you don't get claim to any of the cash flows or any of the assets that are left over, whatever it is, depending on where you are on that cap table, like you might be shit out of luck, even if it looks pretty good from a balance sheet perspective, right? And that's something that I think very few people were thinking about last year when they were buying into these yep. token sales. And, you know, hopefully if you invested in things that were at like the SAFT stage, you know, when the market kind of matured a little bit and realized that you can't just go 
running a fully open public ICO without having some pretty terrible ramifications. You know, if you got into a SAFT, then hopefully you have some rights as an investor, you know, along the same lines that you would as a VC. But if you invested in a token sale in just like a fully public ICO token sale, you've got no rights, buddy. And so even if- wait, wait, wait. But have you have you read a SAFT? Yeah, of course. What rights do you have under SAFT? Well, you have rights to some disbursement in the future, right? Which should be the tokens. Which is more than you have if you bought into an ICO. I'm not saying it's great. Like, SAFs are still not great. Don't get me wrong. But it's still better than if you <laughs> okay, just bought into a crowd sale. Okay, but but here's where I'm at with this. So people use this word. I, I like that you brought up this word distressed. Um you know, everyone I talk to is like, oh yeah, I love distressed assets because everyone fancies themselves, you know, it's 1980s and they're milking and they're fucking everyone with LBOs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantasy I have as well. I'm not going to lie. Um, but look, Distressed assets though, it's not like that. Like I've traded distressed assets and mostly you're just on the phone with lawyers <laughs> and waiting through bond covenants. Like... <laughs> It's but but here's the thing about distressed assets. The reason you're going through these contracts is there's something that you can get. The problem people don't get here, if you buy a token at a 95% discount, you're still buying zero. Just because you paid 95 cents percent less than the last sucker doesn't mean you're not buying a zero. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you might be paying five cents on the dollar for it, but if it's going to zero, that's it. Now, I mean, right, I, but here's, I disagree here's with rule. you here that I don't think any tokens okay. are actually going to zero. I think they'll approach okay. zero asymptotically, but... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, but any number times zero, this is the magic of the number zero. Any number times zero is still it zero. Is. And I think there's an <laughs> to your point, right? In mathematics, like as we get asymptotically close to zero, we pretty much call it zero because there are only so many decimal places in your fund accounting <laughs> software. And I'm being a little bit facetious, but but talk to me about that. So you don't think these things are zero. So so talk to me about why you okay, think that. so this this is my big fear with the crypto market is I don't think any of these things will ever actually get marked to zero because I mean, even when companies default, oftentimes their bonds don't trade to zero, right? Often there's some leftover value or some hope that there's going to be, uh, you know, some disbursement of something out of, out of the bonds that you own. And that's that's a slightly different situation from this, which is that I think that tokens aren't going to get marked to zero because there's just going to be some holder out there who refuses to sell his last shreds of dignity for below a certain... Or she, or she. <laughs> Hopefully there are more she's out there. I th we can get into that another time. I'm, You're going to lead me down a yellow brick road. But... um. <laughs> But, you know, there are going to be people out there who just won't. So there's this notion, let me back up for a second, of marking to market, mm -hmm. right? Anyone who uh -huh. has, uh -huh. you know, traded or been a portfolio manager or whatever understands that, especially in illiquid markets, it's not like there's just a price on a screen or on, on the exchange that is going to be accurate, right? Like we see this in crypto markets all the time of like, oh, well, can you actually trust coin market caps estimation of the price of 
Zen coin or what, like whatever it is, like kind of random thing that has, you know, very little trading volume. So if you can't trust coin market cap, like how do you market in your books? Like how do you value it on your books? Right. And Uh you know, there are many ways that you can back into that. One is to put a price out there in the market and say that you're willing to Uh buy at five and sell at 10 and see if anyone takes you up on those offers, right? And then if they don't, then you know that that the correct mark is somewhere in between the two. Now, the problem is, is if you own a huge amount of one of these, I call them zombie coins, because I think that I don't think that they'll ever die. I think that they're just going to continue to exist as these sort of like living dead zombies. If you're a huge owner of that, you're not really incentivized to go out and find what the true mark to market is. You're not incentivized exactly. to go out and and test the lows and see if if there are any other buyers out there, even at you know point zero 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 one cents. Because once you do that, then you suddenly have to change the marks in your accounting software, like you said, from valuing them at five dollars to valuing them at negligible close to zero. So I'm I'm worried that there are a lot of fund managers, crypto, all of the 24-year-old crypto fund managers who are throwing their business cards at me last year at Consensus. Like I'm worried that those guys are sitting on a lot of these shit coins and they have not figured out where the hell these things are marked. And when the day comes that they have to, it's going to be blood in the streets like we haven't seen yet. So, so let's, let's talk about that because I, I think you bring up a really good point. So I want to address a few of the things you, you said. So first of all, on your point on zombie coins, I think you're completely right. Because if I look at some of the assets on CoinMarketCap, um, there are a lot of assets there that were part of 2013, 2014, 2015 market cycles that ostensibly are quote unquote dead, but people still trade them. Arguably, they're very thinly traded, but they're not worth zero, which is interesting. And they're still supported and they're still markets That's for right. them. I so, mean, just look so, at Bean Cash. Bean Cash is, it's currently- Don't diss the bean. <laughs> Jill, don't. On CoinMarketCap. <laughs> and someone traded $92,000 today of Bean Cash. Like, who are you? If, if you're I, out there and listening to this, get in touch. I'm just curious. Don't judge. Don't don't mess with the bean. The little bean wears a cape. It's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> the fact that I know that is sad. That yeah, says something I, about you're me. You're the one who traded the ninety two thousand dollars, aren't you, Melton? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no, uh, not me. So, so fund. No, it's not in the potato fund. I need to do potato fund update. It's coming. Um, but look, so so one of the things you're saying is crypto assets are this really interesting sentiment machine, which I think ties back to your concept that maybe crypto trading is the ultimate luxury good. It's the ultimate bubble asset because it's so esoteric that basically we're trading on feelings. It's like the perfect psychological trap, which I love. That's a great trading setup. And so to your point, maybe nothing will ever be zero. Um, the second thing you talked about was price discovery, right? So the the mechanism for price discovery today is highly imperfect. And there are two types of price discovery. There's price discovery for liquid assets, which we know how to do, arguably coin market cap, not not perfect. Um, there's, you know, a lot of debate about what the right value for the stuff is. And people aren't taking discounts for what percent of the supply they own and how their moves might impact their ability to get 
That's liquidity a great point. and liquidity yeah. being just because you can sell yeah. one coin at a certain price does not mean that that's mean the you fair can, mark no. for your book. Well, that's like look, risk management 101. Like if you own five, two, five, ten percent of an asset, you need to be able to tell me within a 30-day window how you think you're gonna liquidate that asset. That's without right. dragging risk limits, down. liquidity adjustments on your marks. Yep. And you know, these, do you remember doing making these little spreadsheets at the end of your day on the desk? Yeah. Like, little these, these are the things, though, <laughs> and this is something that I think a lot of folks in crypto miss. These are the things that brought the entire global market to its knees in 2008. Was people not mm-hmm. pricing in liquidity, traders not pricing in liquidity mm-hmm. to their marks mm-hmm. for their mortgage-backed securities, their LBOs, all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, their collateralized debt obligations, every piece of financial wizardry, people didn't mark them correctly and they got away with it for a long period of time. But why would I, right? So we're talking about incentives here. If I get paid on the assets I have under management, if I get paid on the value of my book, if that predicates my bonus, what is my incentive in enabling price discovery? What is my incentive in actually capturing risk premium appropriately? That's right. Right. So what we've what we've done is we've created this perfect storm where there's actually disincentive for price discovery. So one thought I was just having on zombie coins. So you know how the zombie coin that represents the last market cycle um, before this one is Dogecoin. Like that's my perfect example of of a zombie coin that has just become now a cultural Long meme. Dogecoin. Um, I love I think- it. Yeah, but the, so here's what you're going to love even more. This market cycle we're in that's coming to an end right now. I think the relic from this market cycle, you're going to hate me for saying this, it's Dentacoin. I think that's probably right, actually. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> so so buy your Dentacoin because they're, that's not financial advice. Do not buy Dentacoin. But God, that Jill, is so true. Corner the... Right, because it, it has cultural value. So it goes back to your idea that these things are sentiment machines. These are like the ultimate speculative it's like, trading I would kind of markets. love that to be able to pass down to my kids and grandkids some Denticoin and be like, I lived through the bubble of 2017, <laughs> Like <laughs> I'm picturing it now. Um, Denticoin, I have rare Pepe's. I still have rare Pepe's. Um, Doge, like these things that have cultural value, I find it so fascinating. This is the fun, right? Because again, if we go back to psychology, these things defy market psychology, but at the same time, they're so human and so beautifully stupid and irrational, myself included, you included. Like we all participate in this ridiculous behavior. It's just, it's so This is something I wanted to talk about today actually is like, do we all just look like a huge bunch of idiots right now? I think yes. The answer is yes. I think yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. And you know, that's something that those of us who've been in Bitcoin, been in the crypto markets for, you know, the last five plus years. Like we we're kind of used to that. But I feel for all of the folks who got in last year, who, you know, quit their jobs to go work for whatever protocol project, whatever ICO bullshit, who looked like geniuses to all of their friends in the moment and now are experiencing it for the first time, like tail between the legs. It's one thing if you get in and you're like, I'm an idiot. I'm like, I'm jumping into the deep end of this. It's another thing if you get in at the top of the market. 
brutal. But at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our own decisions in life. And and look, we the way I view it um, is we had we've had several cycles play out on crypto. I do believe that we are ending one cycle. We're not at the bottom yet. There is more to come. Um, as I'm talking to people, I have these conversations. I've had a lot of conversations over the last two weeks with people who either manage assets, with people who allocate, um, with people who are running projects. People are still people still believe that there's going to be this amazing event that is so far outside of the realm of the possible that's just going to save them. But but here's where we are. One, do we recognize our own ignorance? I think I like to think I do. Do you think you recognize your own ignorance, Jill? I, I think I'm pretty self-aware. I have I have some friends and lovers who might say otherwise, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so I think we have to all take a step back and say, okay, what did we learn from from this cycle? And I've I've learned a lot. Um you've learned a lot. I think we've all learned a lot and, and fundamentals matter. Um the second thing I've learned is Everyone wants to do distressed stuff now, but but here are two things people don't understand about distressed assets. One, the question of when is really important. You can never time the bottom of a market. You can never really know when the right time to buy is. So like this question of when to deploy is really interesting. And the second is, do you have the guts? Like, are you fearful or are you aggressive? Do you have the guts and the gumption to fire people, to cut salaries in half? Like, do you have the chutzpah as a distressed asset investor to squeeze the blood out of these companies and these protocols? And I think people think it's it's cool. It's not. It's actually very it's dirty business. And it's, it's fucked. It's, it's terrible. You're basically it's the opposite of VC too, and that's the other problem. Is like all of these v, like VCs and people who wanted to be VCs instead of crypto hedge funds, which were really, really should have been venture funds. Like they all fancied themselves just as VCs do from the perspective of like, oh, you know, we're going to build the future. We're going to like hire teams. Like this is going to be so exciting, and now willingly or not, they're going to find themselves in these positions where exactly it's the opposite, where you're having to make cuts, where you're having to make really hard decisions, where you're questioning whether it's the future. Well, I'll tell you, having having been on the VCs, VC is not a fun business either. You um, have really interesting conflicts of incentive um, because there may be things that are good for you as an investor that are terrible for your portfolio company. Terrible. Um, but like, so, so I think there's that, that this whole distressed asset idea is one I think people don't understand it at all. And then here's the third thing I think about, um, there's a massive lack in certainty. There are a lot of different opinions on when the end of cycle will be, what it'll look like, how the next cycle will form. Um, but I'm trying to think of the world as a probability distribution, right? So in the realm of what's possible, there are certain things I see as likely that I think may happen. There are certain things I see as really unlikely. <laughs> Actually, and, and I've been wrong, right? There will be things that happen that I haven't predicted, and there will be things that I thought would happen that won't materialize. But I think in most cases, if you look at the world rationally, you think about potential end states, you can get a pretty good sense for what's likely to happen next. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's... I think yes and no. I mean, I think that, you know... 
study after study has proven that our ability to predict what's going to happen next is pretty terrible. Like if you look at the track record of really any fund manager over a duration of time, it doesn't look great. So I'm a little bit skeptical. That's but 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 that's because there's no successful formula for investing. If there were, um then we wouldn't Indeed. be here. <laughs> We'd have little like robots doing our jobs. So but but there there, there are people here in this world for looking at this and look like people, the reason people are selling assets in a down market, right? People are buying on the way up. And the reason people are selling now is people just want out at any price. They're terrified. And that's an important psychological thing to understand. And that contributes to the downward Do you think spiral. we're there yet? I think that and that's coming. Are, I don't think we're there yet. No, though. no, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Because people aren't sad yet. People still believe. And it sounds so mean to say, like, I want people to do well. I... I'd like to think I'm a fairly well-wishing person, although maybe my behavior would say otherwise. I don't know. You're my friend. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you can find on that another time <laughs> over drinks. Um, but look, I want I want people to do well. But um, when people are terrified, when people are losing their jobs, when people are running out of money, when people are having to write those letters to their team saying like, Hey, we have three weeks of runway. So whatever isn't bolted to the walls, take it and run. That's when we're going to start to see that spiral. And the question is how low can you go? Cause if the world ends, like we're all fucked, right? If the, if the world ends, we're all screwed, but the world's not going to end. And so if you're not thinking about how to play right now in this part of the cycle, you're not doing your job. And I, you know, I do think that this should be the fun part. Like this is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. You just got to batten down the hatch and, and be prepared. Um, but I, I do really worry that just, you know, certain kind of market, market technicalities are going to completely hose projects that, Frankly, you know, maybe don't even deserve it, but just, you know, had poor, poor cash management or whatever else it was, you know, didn't, weren't greedy enough, didn't raise enough, you know, six months ago, 10, 10 months ago. But, but that's the, but that's the story of, I know. of life. That's the story of venture investing. Like this isn't, the, this is there, different though no for venture investing world. because remember so many of these funds, so many of these 24 year olds, crypto funds, you talked about this last time, they all wanted to be Axe from Axe Capital. So they set them up as hedge funds. (laughs) And, you know, they start seeing redemptions. They start going out of business. And not just the, you know, the little ones, the little guys. Like, you know, you start thinking about the consequences if some of the bigger, more major funds start to have serious redemptions. Like, that becomes very scary because suddenly you have one guy who's sitting on, I'll just pick on it all of the Denticoin market cap, like 70% of it, because he put on the Meltem trade. Yep. And he's got to liquidate that in, you know, over a course of <laughs> days because suddenly he's out of business. Like or so so we wanted to get to this. Um, how do yeah. we unwind this? So one unwind maybe if you remember Gox. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What happened with Gox is the funds went to a court-appointed custodian. In this case, it was Kraken. And Kraken held on to the coins. And the reason Mt. Gox creditors were made whole in cash dollar terms, not in Bitcoin terms, is because the case took long enough that we lived through That's the right. Gox cycle. 
and we entered this new 2017 cycle. So the end is not nigh. Um, the world is not ending, I believe. Um, Bagel World is a place I like because I love carbs and delicious cream cheese and it's, it's great. But Crypto Land um, may never experience the full extent of, of the magic <laughs> of bagels, <laughs> the multiplicative power of zero, the, the mass leveling effect that has. Because the way this gets unwound is going to have fundamental implications for what happens next. I think that's right. And, you know, I think that eventually we will find new inflows. I actually think that the most bullish things going on right now, I know we make fun of it a little bit, that people overhype, that the institutions are coming. But like Fidelity is involved in a serious way. Fact is becoming real. Like new inflows will come into the market. And then, you know, we'll just be that much better poised to capitalize on the next bull run. I've actually changed my mind about that. So I was excited about backed infidelity and all of these things. I'm actually not that excited about it. And and here's why. And the Morgan Stanley traders talking about how they're just going to totally just have sex with this market. (laughs) So you have to read. I'll put the interview in the show notes. It's, It's so obscene. And ridiculous. Um, I just, I had to laugh. It was the funniest thing I've read in a long time and, and I enjoyed it. Um, but, but here's what I think is, is sad about that. Um, we're trying to build the whole premise of this is like not institutions, not hypothecation, not, um, you know, taking assets and extending them infinitely via leverage on leverage on leverage on leverage. And we're kind of at this interesting impasse where the things we're most excited about are the financialization and the hyper-financialization of every single thing in the world using tokens and blockchains. And that's just so antithetical to why we all got into this. Maybe not. Maybe that's really where we wanted to go on all along, but I I have to laugh a bit. I I agree with you. I, the way I see it though, is like, it's a new asset class. Of course, Wall Street's going to pick it up at some point. Is Wall Street going to use it the way that like, you know, our cypherpunk dreams want them to? No, of course not. But in my view, more money is, is all good money for, for the ecosystem. Um, that's not true for the Bitcoin ecosystem, for certain ecosystems. But this is not an asset class yet. And I guess I'll end this by saying, you know, the top 10 crypto assets, right? I, I look at coin market cap, um, or actually I should say I look at on-chain Pop effects um, because I'm an investor. <laughs> because bags, I'm an investor, I apologize. Um, <laughs> on-chain effects is great. I they know, show they me the percent of supply that's been released. Like there's yeah. some... There's, there's some good stuff. Anyways, but okay, let's let's go to CMC. So Bitcoin, been around 10 years. Ripple, been around what, six, yeah. five, six years. Ether, six. been around five years. Stellar, been around a long time. Bitcoin Cash, shorter time, but they're leveraging the Bitcoin brand name. EOS, new. Tether, four years. Litecoin, five years. Bitcoin SV, also leveraging the Bitcoin brand. But like you look at the list, the things that are in the top 10, the top 20 have been there for a while. Maybe it'll change, but there's always going to be top 10 and top 20. There's always going to be, and it's going to be a pecking order and people want to play the game. We have always been gamblers. We've always been dreamers. We have always wanted to believe. And so there will always be a market for this stuff in my view. Always. We are the money makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. (laughs) 
Let the Denta coin live forever. And go out and buy some bagels, <laughs> folks. All right, that's all we've got for this week. Tune in next week for more of this stuff. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Meltem and Jill here. To find more episodes of What Grinds My Gears, go to grindmygears.co. Episodes go live every Tuesday morning, and you can find the links to the materials we reference in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to What Grinds My Gears so that more people can find this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.